0: Well, good morning again, uh, my name is Elliot and um, it's a joy to be with you in this uh, in this place. Um, yeah I, uh, I hope um, I hope today we leave here uh, believing that we have encountered something beyond ourself um, through Jesus and his word and his people uh, and his spirit. so uh, we have been in a series on uh, the book of Genesis, really the first eleven chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, and we're actually nearing the end. Next week will be our last week in the book of Genesis uh, for now. And then we'll begin our summer series, which I'm excited to tell you about. Um, we'll, we'll get into some of that next week. But we've looked at these epic things from Genesis one through where we are now. Today we'll be in Genesis uh, 11. Um, but what we've looked at is this, this God who made everything and this God who spoke everything into existence, this God who wired some things into our DNA Wired some things into the DNA of the cosmos, Uh, he made it all good. He made it all beautiful. And then something went wrong. Two chapters in, something gets decimated. Two chapters in, the shalom that God intended for the world gets vandalized, gets shattered. And so the story of the Bible from Genesis 3 on is how is what went wrong in the garden going to be made right? And how is there this pursuing God of his people who keep rebelling against him, who keep saying we would rather do it our own way, but really we long for Eden. So really what we see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is like the introduction of sin and death and shame But also the introduction of the promise of redemption and how the world will be healed and made right again. It's all here. So, last week we looked at uh, kind of the second part of the flood narrative. Genesis 6 through 9 gives uh, the account of the flood with great detail. Three whole chapters, four whole chapters, they get given to the detail of the flood. And it's a massive story. And then we looked at Noah leaving the the ark and being commanded by God to repopulate the world, to, to spread God's goodness, to spread God's beauty, to take God's image to the ends of the earth. And he begins doing that. And so then here's what happens. That's Genesis 9. That's where we were last week. Genesis 10 is a genealogy chapter. We're gonna preach through every name of the genealogy. No, I'm kidding. But the genealogy is just showing you the continuation of of Noah's line. He is beginning to do what God commanded him to do, to be fruitful and multiply and spread and, and fill the earth. And then we get to Genesis 11. We read this story. Genesis 11, starting in verse 1. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from them. the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, um, language is hard. Uh, Language is confusing. Even though we speak the same language, it can still be very difficult. I can feel like I have Babel in my mind, but I pray, Lord, that... um, The meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you and that they would not be confusing for them. And so, Lord, would you guide our time now as we come to your word in this strange story? What were you doing and what ought we to learn from it and how might we even uh, dare to see Jesus in this passage? Uh, Only you and your Holy Spirit can make that possible, Jesus. Um, And so would you guide us now as we seek to uh, behold you with a fresh encounter. In your name we pray. Amen. Tower of Babel. It's interesting that it's called the Tower of Babel. Really, the city is called Babel, and there is a tower in it, but it gets kind of cemented in history as the ages pass down as the Tower of Babel story. Well-known biblical story, even those for outside the Christian faith. But what's going on? What's the context of this story? And instead of just placing it kind of in your well-known biblical narratives, how does it fall in what we've been studying? And what is the context of the Tower of Babel in this story for where we've been and where we're headed in scripture? Well, like we said before, Noah is given, re-given, the mandate that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, we have to understand that mandate as far more imaginative or probably with far more color than it is when you hear those words. It's not just have kids and have more kids. Now that's part of it, but the command was to spread God's kingdom, to fill the earth with God's kingdom. The command from God to Adam and Eve and then to Noah was to spread his glory, was to spread his beauty, was to take it to the ends of the earth, to co-rule in this domain known as earth, bring heaven to earth and fill the world up with heaven. And then we get to this story. We get to this land called Shinar, which is in the Middle East. The plain of Shinar is, is still there. And there's this group of people in the plain in the land of Shinar that decides to build a city. And in that city, they decide to build a tower. And while they're building that tower, the Lord sees it and he comes down to disperse their efforts by confusing their language and giving them all different languages. And then, did you catch at the end, he disperses them. There's this, there's this thing that you have to see in the story is that the stopping of the people in Babel was a direct opposition to what the Lord had commanded them to do. They stopped in Shinar, we're gonna do something here. We're gonna stop uh, spreading out like we've been commanded to do. And so through the course of the story, the Lord at the end still does, through the confusing of languages, he still spreads them out. That's kind of the, the macro point of all this. This is a strange story. <laughs> like this is weird. So here's what we're gonna talk about today, if we can, and I need to know that people can see this in the back. Randy Miller, I saw you sitting in the back. Can you see those words? Kind of, says city, okay? It's all I'm gonna write up there. No, I'm kidding. Um, What profound teaching, Elliot. Um, The building of a city. It's not the first time in scripture we've seen someone try to build a city. Cain, when he gets the mark put on him after murdering his brother Abel, he goes and he settles and he builds a city and it's not good, it's destructive. But This is the next time we're told of people seeking to build a city. Now inherently, there's nothing wrong with building a city. The city, even today, is the most densely populated and most acutely specialized version of human society. This is is still true for us today. The city has always been, as we see here, a part of the human condition, that there's been a longing in mankind, a longing in humanity to build a city. City life, the building of city life has an enormous impact on human life, now maybe more than ever. I love our city, I love Nashville. And sociologists will tell you that the love of cities is only growing. Sociologists will tell you that in the year 1800, so 220 odd years ago, 2.5% of the world's population lived in cities, lived in urban environments. In the year 2000, 20 years ago, over 50% of the world's population lived in human cities. Currently, today, 55% of the world's population live in cities. That's 4.4 billion people that live in cities and in urban environments. And the UN projects that by the year 2050, 70% percent of the world's population will live in cities and so here's what that's it's not like aren't you aren't you thankful for a sociological data point no what this is saying is is that something is drawing people to cities and there's something innate in us that babel will teach us that is drawing us to cities and i don't care where you're from or where you were raised you can't escape cities anymore Technology spreading means that people who were raised even in severely urban environments means that what happens in cities begins to trickle out and affect all of culture, and so people in farmlands in Iowa are getting immersed in the same culture that is being formed in cities. You cannot get away from it. There is no getting away from the city. And so as Christians, we're not just curious about what does the development of cities mean for a culture? What does the development of cities mean for us to understand uh, human life and its technology and its progression with AI, you know, whatever that means? But like, what, 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 is, what the Christian should be asking is, what is our role in cities, and how should Christians, if this is true, and this it's only continuing to grow, Christians should be asking, how should we see the city? And how should we be seeing ourselves in the city? And maybe the most notable thing that we see in this text about the building of the city of Babel, which, by the way, is the inception of what would become Babylon. So this is like, this is in the Middle East. This is like the city in Scripture that kind of represents so much about human, the human condition is Babylon. This is the beginning of it. And what we're told about people that stopped to build cities We're gonna spend a lot of time in this verse, but look with me again at the beginning as to the why of why people want to build a city. What's going on in humanity? What's the driving force of building a city? Then they said to themselves, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Okay, so for an ancient Near East person if you, anytime you hear that language, the way that an ancient Near East person would hear that language, build a tower with its top in the heavens means that rooted in the building of a city is a spiritual hunger. There's something that's driving these people. They want to stop with their community and stop and construct something, stop and build something. And the first thing we're told, the first building project that they had in the building of Babel was we need to build a tower. It was probably a ziggurat, which was a, like a temple, but we want to build this like pyramid almost. And it needs to be so high that when we climb up it, we will be in the heavens so that we can encounter the divine. And so here's like point number one. Do you know that in every building of the city with 70% of the world's population being, being drawn to cities to help build cities all over the world, what's driving them, the reason beneath all that is there is a spiritual hunger that people are seeking when they move to a city to try to build a city? Because they want to encounter the divine. Now, we maybe are so enlightened that we know that you can't build a tower big enough to get to heaven. But do you know that that innate belief in humanity is still there? When I go and build a city, I will encounter the divine. I need to go to a city to do something to encounter the divine. There's a spiritual hunger inside the people that stopped to build Babel, and there's a spiritual hunger in us That is also seeking to build a city here. This is the driver. They wanted to meet God. They wanted to reach him. And that has been built into us ever since we were dispelled from Eden. There's an echo of Eden that believes if we can build a city the way that we want to build a city, if we can experience a city the way that we want to experience a city, maybe it will bring us back to Eden. Maybe we can find Eden in the city. So right off the bat, Here's what you need to know. When mankind builds a city, when mankind builds anything, there is a spiritual hunger beneath it, trying to get our tops to the heavens. See, because what Eden was, was the overlap of heaven and earth. And so when sin came and decimated that, when sin came and ripped that apart, Every day of human existence since Eden has been trying to reunite heaven and earth. Maybe if we build a city, maybe if we experience a city, maybe if we achieve enough, maybe if we do enough, maybe if we make enough, maybe, maybe, maybe we can experience heaven and earth being together again. And so when a civilization stops to try to build a city with this echo of Eden longing in them, here's what it looks like unhindered. If mankind is going to stop to build a city, it always looks like in Babel and like in Nashville. When mankind wants to build a city, it always looks like the city of man. And it's driven by this spiritual hunger. That there's this desire in man to reach the heavens because of the spiritual hunger to reclaim Eden again. And it always looks like the city of man. And so what do people who are building the city of man what does it look like in a city when they're trying to build the city of man to reach the heavens? What does it end up looking like and how do we end up experiencing people that are trying to build the city of man? Read with me again verse four because we get this right out, the, right out of the gate from here too. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so a lot going on but here's what you need to know. What they just told you, the reason why they want to build a city, the, reason, the way they think they're going to reach the heavens is they want to make a name for themselves. Is anybody trying to do that in this city? And it's easy to point at all those artists and songwriters, they're just trying to make a name. But what about like, I need to get my next journal article published? Or I need to get my next promotion. Or I need to be like in the next in crowd. Or I need to find the next big thing. Or I need to have people talking about me because it seems like in this town, people are always talking about what other people are doing. And I want people in other circles to be talking about what I'm doing. I need to get the next development deal. I need to land the next book deal. I need to be promoted and I need to be on my own and not working for the man. And I wanna be a name that people are talking about. No, no one? That's not happening in this town? Didn't think so. So the quest to make a name, rooted in this spiritual hunger, if I can find Eden again in this city, we believe if we can come and make a name for ourselves in a city, we will finally get what we've longed for. So what, is, what exactly does that say we believe? If that's our quest to make a name, and Babel showed us that this is just innate in us, We're all looking for a name for ourselves. Everyone therefore believes that you are the one driving the bus that has to give yourself a name. Someone gave me a name, but I don't accept it. I need a new name. I need a new identity. I need to make for myself a name that is self-made. So what would it mean for you? Let's like play out your like wildest imagination of whatever it is, however you would answer this in your domain, what would it look like to make a name for yourself? Answer that and then imagine you won that make a name lottery and you got, to, you got to decide how your future goes and you get to make a name. What would that name give you? See, the only people who are looking for a name to make for themselves a name are people who don't know who they are to begin with. <laughs> if you feel this insatiable desire that you have to make for yourself a name, that means you don't know what your name already is. And so people tend to believe that if I had a name, it would give me meaning. If I had a name, it would give me security. If I had a name, it would justify me. So we're looking for a name because if I finally landed on the name and I won my make a name lottery and I could do whatever I wanted to do, if I finally had those things, I would have the meaning I'm looking for. I would have the security I'm looking for and I would be justified in my existence of trying to make for myself a name and then when I cross the name finish line, I'll have those three things. Everything in the city of man is trying to justify our finite existence because we have a nagging feeling that won't go away because of the spiritual hunger that's been rooted in us, we have this haunting cross pressure, in the words of Charles Taylor, that everything really is spiritual, and you don't just live once, and you were made for transcendence, and you were made for magic, and you were made for eternity, and this nagging feeling won't go away in you, that the eternity in your heart, nothing seems to make it go away. I'm not enough, and if I make a name for myself, then maybe I'll feel like I'm enough. So maybe if I make a different name for myself, for myself, that nagging feeling will go away. So what does that look like in this town when we're looking for a name? Does it mean what are all the things that you're on the quest for, the deal, the pub deal, the promotion, the, the inner circle? Those are ways to fulfill it, but what does it say, what does it end up, how does it make like human interactions go for us? If this is what we're about, I'm looking for meaning, I'm looking for security, I'm looking to justify myself. What does that end up meaning for my relationship with you? Well, it usually means that I'm all about, I know that I'm losing some people coming low. Okay, just come on, running out of room. Spirit has so much to say. It usually means I'm looking for power. Because if I had power and promotion and achievement and autonomy and authority, I could give myself meaning and I would be secure and my existence would be justified. So I'm all about a quest for more power. And here's what it means for a people who are on a quest for power. I am so willing to step on you to get my power. I have no problem. If you're in my way to get power, then you will be in my way to get these things. And I've got to make a name for myself because that's what I'm hungry for because I miss Eden so much. And so the only way to get the name that I think I can get for myself that'll quiet the eternity in me is for power. Guess what people who are on a quest for power can never do? You can never serve anybody. You will not serve. You will not serve your neighbor. You will not serve your spouse. You will not serve your roommates. You will not serve the city. Because service, submitting yourself, is a giving away of power. And power is how I need my meaning and security and justification to exist. So on this quest for power, there is no room in the city of man to be a people who serve. There's no, there's no room in the city of man for people to see other people as more valuable than themselves. What might happen if I give up my power? Everything's all about achievement. Everything's all about literally in Babel, but spiritually for us, getting higher. And so if I give up my power, I won't be able to get higher. And so the city that man builds is always self-seeking, always self-glorifying. The city of man folks who are looking for a name, city of man folks who are looking for power, say things like this. Now this is, I'm not knocking, golly, please don't make this political, although everything's probably political. But literally, people people who will not give up power and refuse to serve say things like this. Um, We have to take back the culture. No, you don't because it's not about winning, it's not about climbing, it's not about grabbing what's yours, it's not about making a name for you or your favorite piece of culture. City of Man folks are terrified in fear of what might happen to the city or the name that they've spent their whole life building. And so because folks in the City of Man are afraid of what power they might lose, they also say what Babel folks say at the end of their Declaration of Independence. Look at what they say the end of verse four. This is the refusal to serve line. Come, let us build a name for ourselves and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, if you've been with us, what are they saying? They're saying, God, I know what you've called us to do. You've called us to spread out and their commitment to build Babel, they are literally giving the middle finger to the Almighty and saying, we will not spread out. We will do this our way, lest we be dispersed. Lest we be dispersed would be another way to say, I will not serve anybody but me. Man stopping their spreading and stopping to build the tower in this biblical context is in direct opposition to the mandate that Adam and Noah and all of humanity was given, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Literally, the city of man, and this is what Babylon will go on to represent in like the symbolic biblical sense, the city of man is the anti-city to the city of God. And the city of God is not built by man. The city of God is the city which Hebrews will tell us is the city whose builder and architect is God himself. See, the city of God is full of people with the same spiritual hunger, but the people of the city of God aren't trying to build a city to make a name for themselves. Here's what the people of God know. I don't have to make a name for myself. I have a name already. And so because I have a name, I can actually seek the good of the city. I can do what's good for the city. I don't have to build the city in my name to make for myself a name. I can seek the good of the city because I already have a name. Instead of looking for meaning, belonging, and justification, I'm gonna abbreviate those this time, M-B-J. Instead of looking for meaning, belonging, security, I already know that I have those things, and so I don't have to go out trying to get them or make them for myself. This is the main difference between what people in the city of God know, what people in the city of man know. This is, this is the difference. People in the city of man believe they have to make their existence, make for themselves a name. People in the city of God know, I already have a name that's been given to me. I don't make for myself anything. I was made, and that is my name. And so because of that, we don't hoard our things. We're not seeking self-justification. Here's what people in the city of God, we're not seeking our meaning, security, belonging, and justification. We already have those things. So because we already have those things, we don't have to seek power. Here's what we can seek in the city of God. We can seek justice. People who are seeking justice are willing to give up power. (laughs) People who are seeking justice know I don't have to climb some ladder to crawl over people, to knock other people down. I can actually seek the good of the city and guess what will be really good for this city when justice rolls down? That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says to the people of God, into the places where they've been placed, in the cities that they've been placed in, people of God, members of the city of God, you are to be these two analogies, salt and salt. Light, guess what salt and light do for places where they've been placed? They enhance them. Nashville should be better because you're in it. Nashville should be a better place to live for all the members of this city because as salt and light, you have been sent to this city to make this city a better place. Salt makes food better. Don't you dare disagree with me because you'd be disagreeing with Jesus, okay? (laughs) Light enhances your experience because it adds light to what was formerly dark. It makes your experience better. The city of God is called to exist with its members within and alongside the city of man to show a different city, to be a different city. And this is not a culture war. We're not trying to win back anything. But the building of a different and a building of a better city within the city of man, of the city that we've been placed, is and and we we are members of a better city, and the builder of our city is God. We're not building the city; we're joining with our Father who's building the city. We're joining with the King of the Kingdom. And this, my friends, is the role. Gosh, I'm so out of room. The whiteboard in my office is bigger. Uh, this is the role of the church. That's a church. (laughs) This is the role of the church in the city. And the church, not just this local building where we gather, that's part of it, but the church is the people. The church is the people who are sent as salt and light into the city that they've been placed in. See, the church, because the church already has what it needs from its king and from its city, the church can then be sent into all the different spheres that we've been sent into in this city. So whether that's the financial sphere or the educational sphere or the sphere of your family or the or the legal sphere or the or the give me another one the, the music sphere health. Gosh who said that a doctor? No I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding I'm kidding I don't even know who said it. Yes. The 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 sphere any sphere that you've been you've been placed in You as the church are then sent into that sphere. And what are you sent as? Salt and light to make that sphere better. And you're not there to make a name for yourself, to climb over people, to crawl over people, to get the justification of your existence, to reclaim Eden. You're there as the church and you already have the things that you're looking for. You already have them. So now you can go to that sphere, wherever God has sent you, whatever, whatever authority he's given you in that sphere, and you can serve there. You're not hungry for power there. You're there to make that place better. The question often gets posed to church planners, and it's kind of a terrifying thing to ask of like, is, is the church that you've been called to pastor working? And it's really easy to just say it's working with numbers, but here's the litmus test. If 12 South, this church body ceased to exist in this neighborhood tomorrow, would the neighborhood be sad? Is this neighborhood better because we're here? Like, are you a bad tipper at tap room? Please don't be. I've got a reputation to uphold over there, okay? Like, are, are, do you make this, this neighborhood better? Or do you make your law office better? Do you make your school campus better? Do you make your boardroom better? Do you make your classroom better? Would people be really sad if you weren't there anymore? Not just because you're friends, but because man, they came to serve this place and them serving this place, they weren't hungry for power. They seemed to already know who they were so they didn't need this place to tell them who they were. In other words, we can be dispersed. They sought to build Babel lest we be dispersed. Don't send us, don't have us join with you, God, in what you're trying to do in the world. We wanna do our own thing. But no, if you're a member of the kingdom of God, if you're a member of the city of God, you already have a name, you already have your security, you already have your belonging, you can serve there, you can enhance there, you can bring justice there. That's what the church is in the city to do. St. Augustine wrote a book literally called The City of God. It's all about this whole idea like the city of God over against the city of man, that is, this is who the people of God are. This is who we've been called to be. Church is to be a refuge from what theologian Meredith Klein called the howling wilderness of the city of man. Do you know how lonely this city is? Do you know how, like, it's it's excruciating. No one knows each other, There's no intimacy, there's no community, there's no belonging, there's no safety, there's no security. And everybody's here, if you've read The Caterpillar Pillar, anybody read that book, that children's book written for adults? I've got stacks of copies in my office, because it's for us, that you don't have to climb on people. Because there's nothing up at the top of whatever you think you're climbing to. It's never high enough for you. That the people in this city are actually miserable. And so what the church then becomes is a refuge for people who are exhausted from the building of the city of man. So how in the world could that happen? And what happens to us, if you belong to the city of God, if you belong to King Jesus, what, what do we do when we, it feels like, man, all the wheels I'm spinning feels like this. I know I've been called into the educational sphere to be a teacher, but it feels like, man, I really need this place to tell me who I am. And if I fail at being a teacher, then I don't know who I am anymore. Or if the parents are mad at me, they don't know who I am anymore. What happens when members of the city of God get so dragged into the city of man that we, we don't know who we are anymore? What do we do? Yes, church, you have been sent into the city to enhance it, but that's not the only reason the church exists. The church also exists to gather with regularity to remind each other of the name you've already been given. Because guess what's gonna happen between Sundays when you go back to your sphere? How about this sphere that we forgot about? Oh no, I didn't forget about it, it's down here. How about the sphere of your family? What if you've been called to be a full-time parent? You wanna talk about a place that's gonna try to tell you who you are and how you're doing? You wanna talk about the place that's gonna rip your soul out and you're not, it's just gonna feel like I'm not winning every day. <laughs> it's gonna feel like nothing's working every day. And so what do you think you're gonna need from the church that gathers and just so happens to gather in this building on Sundays, what do you think you're gonna need? You're gonna need to be reminded of the name you've already been given. How, does that, how would that ever happen? How do we get from Babel to that? There's a clue in the text. Verse five and verse eight. You can throw these verses up there, Allie. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. Then skipping down to verse eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Okay, here's what the Lord does. He comes down to them. And when he comes down to them, the Lord comes down. And when he comes down to them, he graciously punishes them he spreads them out for their good he says to them literally in the verses that we skipped over he says a version of this left to yourselves you will only ever always build the city of man and if i leave you in that place you will kill each other you will always be trying to build a name for yourself you will always be clawing and grabbing the self-justification and it will kill you so literally the lord comes down to save them from themselves And many years later he would do the same thing. Once again in the person of Jesus, the Lord would come down again. Except this time, the Lord doesn't come down to graciously punish people. This time, the Lord comes down and he's the one that gets punished. This time he would come down in the flesh and he would bear the brunt of the punishment. And yet again, in the person of Jesus, he would come down to save his people from themselves. God would come down and he would lose his name in order to give you one. So when you believe in Jesus, when you belong to Jesus, and you know that God loves you and accepts you, you'll know what your name is. And because of Jesus, he's made you a permanent member of the city of God and your name is written on his hands and not one of you can be lost from him and not one of you could be plucked from his hand. And so now, you don't need the city of man to give you a name. You don't need the city of man to give you meaning or security or justification. You already have it. See, there's only one city where you can literally look at it and say, because I'm a member of this city, because I have access to all the benefits of that city, because I'm a landowner and I belong in this city, because the Lord of that city knows me by name and loves me, I have what I need. And as a member of that city, all the benefits of that city are yours permanently. And so you bring that city to the city where you live. And on the days where you forget it, when the sphere you're in tries to name you, when the places you've been placed in wipes you out and drags you down and tells you you have to prove yourself, you come back to this place to remember who you are. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are all a people who have sought to make a name for ourselves. And really what that says about us is we don't know who we are. We're trying to live up to some expectation that others or ourselves have placed on us and really what it's all longing for is the spiritual longing for Eden again. We long for heaven and earth to be one. We long, we long for things to be made right and so would you save us, Jesus, from ourselves. Save us, make us a people. To know who we are so we can be sent into this city sent into the spheres that we've been placed in to love and serve and bring justice there rid us of our love of power and invite us in to our love of each other and neighbor we pray we ask all this in your name Jesus would you be the one who tells us who we are in you amen